0: Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It's wonderful to see you all this morning. For those who are guests this morning, my name is Mike, and uh, I have the privilege to serve as pastor here, and it is a great joy and privilege. Um, we are throughout the season of Lent, this is the second Sunday of Lent, studying a short letter from the New Testament written by Paul to the churches in Galatia. So in your Bibles, it's called Galatians. That's what we are studying. We started with just the first few verses last week, and we're going to look at a fairly long section this week, and I will read it all out loud so you can start preparing yourself now for long listening um, in just a minute. But but um, let me set that up a little bit so that you have a few things to hang on to. The letter as a whole, Paul's letter to the Galatians, is about getting in. That's what it's about. I mean, it's about the ultimate in, like being totally in in life, getting in with God in particular. Getting in means being part of his chosen, holy, beloved people. It means being citizens of his kingdom it means being sons and daughters of the king i mean we don't live in a monarchy but there's no more in than that being a son and daughter of the king it's the in that we celebrate whenever we baptize someone here at littleton christian church baptism is the symbol of getting in but during Paul's ministry, during Paul's life after Jesus changed his life, the question of who's in and how do they get in, it was a debated question. It was, it was not a straightforward answer to that question. And Paul had a passionate answer to that question. In fact, he devoted his ministry really to fighting for the answer to that question, and he was willing to fight. He was willing to fight whoever, whenever, and wherever the message about who's in and who's not was obscured or changed. And that, that's what was going on in Galatia. That's why he wrote this letter. The news that Paul had brought to them, he he had spent time among these churches, was the good news that Jesus was the long-awaited king of the Jews and anyone who entrusted their lives to him To Jesus and depended on his faithfulness alone was in, in with God. That's the message that he brought. But the Galatians had become confused. Apparently, some impressive new teachers have come into town and they are adding to the end. They're saying there is more that is needed to be in than mere faith. So, the section we're about to look at, Paul tells his story. The reason we're doing all these verses together is because it's all one long story. He's He goes off telling this story uh, about himself, about kind of how he got in with Jesus, and then how he got in with Jesus' people, and then how he needed to challenge Peter for Peter's understanding of who's in Jesus and who's not now i want to say one last thing before we read it um, there's there's a section at the end five or six verses that are incredibly famous they're they're verses where paul is talking about this idea of justification by faith it's this theological phrase you're going to hear a lot of theological language and it's it can get pretty confusing what he's saying And what has really helped me as I've studied it, in fact, just this time studying the letter um, and, you know, reading different, different understandings of this, all of that is part of what Paul is saying to Peter in the story. Okay, so there's a, there's a part where you'll see the quotes where Paul is speaking to Peter and the quotes will end, but I think they're supposed to keep going and they'll go to the end of our section and i think that that will help all of us understand it a little bit better. Okay. That's all the setup. Let's take a look at Galatians chapter 1 verse 11 all the way through to the end of chapter 2. Here's what he says. Now i want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel i preached is not of human origin, for i did not receive it or learn it from any human source, instead I received it by a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former way of life in Judaism, how I was savagely persecuting the church of God and trying to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my nation and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. But when the one who set me apart from birth And called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I could preach him among the Gentiles. I did not go and ask advice from any human being, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before me. But right away, I departed to Arabia and then returned to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and get information from him and stayed with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I assure you that before God, I'm not lying about what I'm writing to you. Afterward, I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, but I was personally unknown to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing, the one who once persecuted us is now proclaiming the good news of the faith he once tried to destroy. So they glorified God because of me. Then, after 14 years, I went up to Jerusalem, again with Barnabas, taking Titus along too. I went there because of a revelation and presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did so only in a private meeting with the influential people to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. Yet, not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, although he was a Greek Now, this matter arose because of the false brothers with false pretenses who slipped in unnoticed to spy on our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus to make us slaves. But we did not surrender to them even for a moment in order that the truth of the gospel would remain with you. But from those who were influential, Well, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God shows no favoritism between people. Those influential leaders added nothing to my message. On the contrary, when they saw that I was entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter was entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who empowered Peter for his apostleship to the circumcised also empowered me for my apostleship to the Gentiles. And when James, Cephas, and John, who had a reputation as pillars, recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship, agreeing that we would go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. They requested only that we remember the poor, the very thing I also was eager to do. But When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he had clearly done wrong. Until certain people came from James, he had been eating with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he stopped doing this and separated himself because he was afraid of those who were pro-circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also joined with him in his hypocrisy so that even Barnabas was led astray with them by their hypocrisy but when i saw that they were not behaving consistently with the truth of the gospel i said to cephas in front of them all if you although you are a jew live like a gentile and not like a jew how can you try to force the gentiles to live like jews we are jews by birth and not gentile sinners And yet we know that no one is justified by the works of the law, but by the faithfulness of Jesus Christ. And we have come to believe in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by the faithfulness of Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners, is Christ the one who encourages sin? Absolutely not. But if I build up again those things I once destroyed, I demonstrate that I am the one who breaks God's law. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside God's grace, because if righteousness could come through the law, then Christ died for nothing. This is the word of the Lord. God. Lord, in this moment, we're going to be quiet together. Would you speak to us about your word? Lord, as we consider this long story that Paul tells the Galatians, I ask that you would do the same thing in us that you intended to do in them, that you would use Paul's story of his conversion and his relationship with the apostles, that you would use that to tell us something about our relationship with you. So have your way in the preaching of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, I you had no choice, but thank you for listening to quite a long bit of Scripture. Um, and I know Paul gets into the weeds there and some of the details. He kind of, he's like a preacher telling his story, you know. It, he gets going and can't stop himself. Um, and, and so we've been sharing it with Jesus' followers ever since. Um, to understand what's going on here i want to take you back to one of the worst places in the world a place many you many of you have been and a place in different ways that all of you have experienced i am talking about the middle school cafeteria the middle school cafeteria now i went to a school here in town campus middle school it's a large Middle school, Cherry Creek High School, even larger. Um, so the, the cafeteria was a giant room. I haven't been there since, thank God. And, um, and so it's probably smaller in reality than in my memory. But in my memory, it's this huge cavernous space with a hundred tables, you know, and, and you, you go through, you start in the hallway, you get your tray, you go through the line and get your food, and then you come out into this big, you know, jungle, and you can see the tables, you know, and the, the kids are, are starting to fill the tables. And not all of you are like me, and this is such a gift for you. I'm so happy. But those of you who are like me, there's a thing happening in your mind as you're looking around at who's at what table. You're thinking both, where do I, where do I belong? Where do I get to sit? And you're also thinking, how, can I, how could I get in with that table? Like that's the place to be. That's where all the other kids want to be. This is the great sorting of humanity in a post-Eden world. We are ranking ourselves constantly. And friends, it still happens. I mean, three times a year, Stephen and I go to a a denominational meeting called Presbytery. And we have a meal, you know, throughout the day at Presbytery. And you get your food, and there's a bunch of tables, and you figure out where the cool kids are sitting. And you try to sit with them. Brandon doesn't. No, okay. (laughs) So that, I mean, this, it, it, this is a ridiculous thing that we do. Now, some of you might be thinking, that's just how it was in the 90s. Well, let me tell you, I observed it this week. That's when I was in middle school, by the way, the early 90s. Um, I observed it this week. Uh, I met, met a guy for lunch at the Chipotle across the street from Arapaho High School. When I walked in, it was empty, which I, too, I was very pleased about that. I'm like, oh, maybe, maybe the kids don't come here anymore. Um, but a few minutes after we sat down with our burritos in a very peaceful setting, you know, the hounds were released. <laughs> I mean, it was unbelievable. Like, this place was breaking fire code in four different ways. And so, it, like any fast food restaurant, there's, you know, a bench and then tables bolted to the ground you know two tops and four tops you know with little gaps in between them my friend and i are sitting at a two top and there's there's a wall and a four top next to us and first one boy sits down and then another and then another and then another and then and i and i do not know how they were all piling into and they had no regard for these two grown men sitting next to them but it's like In their brains, that was the table. They had had to be at that table. Their personal space, comfort, ability to eat their food, it, it didn't matter. All that mattered was being at that table. We are designed, friends, to want to be in. And these new teachers in Galatia have come announcing to the Galatians, particularly the Gentiles, which is most of the Galatians, the non-Jews, that they're not as in as they thought they were. They're not. And Paul starts hinting at the thing that they're saying. They are saying to the Galatians, especially the Galatian men, you're not in until you're circumcised. And in the first century, you know, before modern medicine, that's a significant Thing to say to a grown man and so to make his point paul instead of you know he's pretty upset at the galatians and we looked at that last week and we when we get to chapter three he's going to be talking directly to them again and chapter three is going to start with the line you foolish galatians who has bewitched you so he's he's upset but in between those two parts he tells this long story the story that we just read it's the story of how Paul got in with Jesus, how he got in with the church leaders, and now he had to confront Cephas, who is actually Peter, for forgetting how he got in. So, what does he say here? I I know it was long, so I'll just kind of summarize it for you. Paul sets the tone out of the gates about how he got in with Jesus. He says, the gospel that I've been preaching to you, that I preached to you, it was not of, of human origins. It was not in accordance with human norms. He's saying, in other words, it wasn't because I was impressive. I didn't get recruited into some movement. No, that's not what happened to me. The key word for Paul throughout this story is the word revelation. He uses the word revelation a couple times. And what he's saying again and again is that it was a revelation of Jesus that brought him in, and it wasn't based on anything else. You know, if you're looking at a Bible, verses 13 and 14 are really interesting. That's where Paul tells two parts of his story. He says, you know, I was savagely persecuting you people. I was savagely persecuting the the followers of Jesus. So he tells that part of his story and he says, also by the way, as a Jew, I was more advanced than any than most other Jews. I was better at Judaism. I I was I was a, a great teacher. I was an influencer. I had advanced far beyond many of my peers. He, he lists these two things. He was murdering God's people here, and he was a really impressive member of God's people over here. And why does he say that back to back? So that in verse 15, he can say that had nothing to do with why Jesus called him. Jesus set me apart and called me by his grace. That's what he says in verse 15. It was given without regard to Paul's badness or his impressiveness. He was set apart by Jesus's grace. Paul's understanding of the gospel wasn't a concept that somebody taught him. It was something he experienced. On his conversion, it was the resurrected Jesus himself who came and said, you're mine, you're mine. Paul now understands that to be grace. So, Paul shifts in his story. He says, look, that happened to me, and and I didn't go and look, try to get in with, with the Jesus people after that. In fact, I went off to be alone. I went to Arabia. And he kind of tells how he went off to be alone. And, and he's citing years, you know. Then three years later, I, you know, I happened to meet these guys. And I spent a 15 days with them. And, you know, who cares? I, you know, I spent time with Peter and James. He's kind of like, who cares? I, you know, I did spend time with them, but it's not a big deal. You know, that's, he's name dropping, but saying he doesn't want to be name dropping. That's what's going on. You know, he says, I, I promise you, I'm not lying about this. Like if I was like, hey, I had lunch with John Elway this week. Um, it's no big deal. I'm not lying. Um, <laughs> that would that would be a lie for me, but it's not a lie for Paul. He did hang with these guys, and then he goes. Then then he says he goes back. He goes back, and and now after 15 years, he's presenting himself for 14 years, presenting himself to the church leaders. And why is he doing this? Is he doing it because he? All right, he finally realizes he needs to be in. He needs their stamp of approval. No, the same key word comes up in chapter two, verse two. I went there because of a revelation and presented to them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. In other words, he's saying, I didn't care, but God told me I needed to go and, and connect with these guys and unify with them. Make sure our, the message lines up. He says, but I, I did so only in a private meeting with the influential people to make sure that I was not running or had not run in vain. That's what he says. The word revelation matters so much. It's God who led him back to Jerusalem. He's trying to unify the message about Jesus. And the, he's probably referring to a story you could read more of. It's in Acts chapter 15. There's this big debate where Paul and a whole bunch of people come to Jerusalem, and they're trying to figure out this very question. How do the Gentiles get in? Jesus is the Jewish Messiah. Do the Gentiles need to become fully Jews in order to follow Jesus or not? That's a huge question. And it involves all sorts of implications, especially for the Gentiles. But it involves huge implications for the Jews, too. You know why? Because they don't sit at the same table in the cafeteria. There's the Jew table and there's the Gentile table. And they don't sit together. And in fact, they think the nerds are at the other table. They think it's gross to sit at the other table. So Paul goes he tells them his message, he gives them some evidence, and they say, yeah, that's right. You've got the story about Jesus right. You've got the way we get in with Jesus correct. They affirm his message. They say, keep going, keep communicating to the non-Jews, and Peter and James and the others will keep communicating to the Jews, and the message will spread. It gets affirmed. I I love uh, chapter 2, verse 6. He He's like, did, you saw it. There's these parentheses, you know, because translators are trying to figure out what to do. He's like, so I'm talking to these influential people. Not that it matters that they were influential. I don't care. God doesn't care. Nobody cares. Um, but, you know, they, I did the influential people I did talk to. You know, it's like, woo. okay. He's trying to make a point, though, honestly. He's trying to say, even though I kind of have to rank people to tell you this story, the point of this story is that we can't rank people. That's what he's trying to say. In fact, when these influential people, James, Cephas, and John, who had a reputation as pillars, when they recognized the grace that had been given to me, they gave to Barnabas and me the right hand of fellowship. In other words, that's how he got in. He got in not because he impressed them, but because they recognized that God was doing something and had chosen Paul for a specific mission. His point again and again is the whole thing is grace. Getting in is grace. The message is grace. The ability to communicate it is grace. I wish I, wish I were like Paul. So, some of you are, are like him. Some of you, when I told that story about the tables, that just didn't resonate for you at all. You, you you've never thought about who the cool kids are who not you 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 know who your friends are you you make new friends you're not ranking people I don't know how you do that I that is honestly a better way to live that is a better way to live I don't live like that I, for some reason I always have a list in my head it's such a twisted it's not even a true list but it's a list of who's who it's it's faded, you know, it's faded as I've gotten older. Thank God it's fading. But my heart's still, you know, here we are. We're at Littleton Christian Church. I've been the pastor of this church since I was three. And, um, and it, you know, for so many years, when someone new walked in the door, I felt all this, like, desperation and pressure. Will you love us? Will you like the way we do things? Will you like the songs that we sing? You know, the way we've set things up. Will the right people come and talk to you? Will, you know, there's all of that. Will you think our expression of worship and faith or or my way of teaching, to be more honest, is inspiring and needful in your life? We're all still trying to get in with each other. And I wonder, you know, some of you are new this morning. <laughs> Some of you are still relatively new to this community and perhaps all of you can remember the first time you walked in. This is a group of people who know each other. When you walk in that door, there's little circles of people catching up with each other and chatting with each other. What did it feel like that time when you walked in the first time? I wonder what your heart was asking. If your deep heart questions were, Will these people accept me? Will they love me? Can I be among them? Gosh, so much of life is a middle school cafeteria, you guys. Our identities are formed by whether or not we're sitting at the right table. Now, why did Paul tell this big, long story the way he did? He told it to set up his argument with Cephas, that is, Peter. His whole point is meant to say, the only table that matters, no cool kids are invited. No cool kids are invited. No one who's ranking others are invited to that table. That's what Jesus did. Jesus opened Paul's eyes to a whole new way. living, A way that invites the outcasts and the unclean to the table. A way that says, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. It's not just any table, friends. It's the king's table. And Paul gets most upset when somebody who's been invited to that table tells someone else that they are not invited to the table. The whole story is building up his argument with Peter. He's not just saying, I don't care if the cool kids like me or not. He's not just saying that. He's telling his whole story to say, Cephas, he started caring again. And I needed to challenge him on that. Um... I hope many of you have seen the movie or read the book entitled Wonder. If you haven't, it's my, I give a, a full recommendation. Just bring like five boxes of Kleenex to watch it. If you've seen it, you know what I mean. It is a tearjerker. It's the story of a young boy named Augie who has uh, severe facial deformities. And his parents, you know, were very protective. They homeschooled him for his young Life, but eventually they enroll him at the best time to meet a crowd, middle school, <laughs> right? So early on, he forms a friendship with this, you know, this pretty sweet kid named Jack, Jack Will. In the school, the cool kid, the rich, cool kid, you know, the tr- movie trope rich, cool kid, good looking, suave, cool kid is Julian. And at the low point of the movie, Augie is at a doorway where the boys can't hear, can't see him. And Jack, who's Augie's friend, and Julian and a number of the cool boys are sitting around a table. And Augie overhears them start to question Jack about his relationship with Augie. They say, you know, why do you hang with him? He says, I don't... I don't want to do that. They, they, they assigned him to me. I'm, you know, I'm just doing, you know, and they press him more. And Jack, it, you know, he says, trying to fit in with the cool kids. He said, I, if I looked like Augie, I'd kill myself. And Augie hears this. Of course, it's the low point of the movie. In a moment of weakness, Jack brutally excludes Augie in order to feel included with these other kids you know who knows all about that peter peter that's peter's story at the moment that jesus himself became the outcast what peter's famous moment he follows jesus close but if someone says are you with him what does peter do no way i don't even know him he denies him he excludes jesus he betrays him of course Jesus restores Peter after his resurrection. It's a beautiful scene at the end of the Gospel of John. You know, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. He's he's putting Peter back into a a central role in his church. In fact, Peter goes on to be the most influential early believer in the first generation of believers. But those habits of being wanting to be included and so being tempted to exclude people in order to include to feel included. They're hard to break, you guys. They creep back in sneaky ways. And that's what happened to Peter. When Paul talks about getting in Peter's face, he's talking about who's Peter eating with? He's talking about the cafeteria again. Who is Peter eating with? He says, You used to eat with the Gentiles. But until certain people arrived, whoever they are, people that maybe James has sent from Jerusalem, until certain people arrived, you were eating with them. And when they arrived, you excluded them. You kicked them out of the table. Now, what does eating with them really imply? It doesn't just mean that Peter is meeting them for lunch at the local Chipotle. No. The Jews and Gentiles, they they didn't just eat with each other. Like I said, they had social and spiritual reasons for thinking they would be defiled if they sat down at the same table with each other. But Peter eating with them is saying, we are one. It's a huge deal. I mean, the whole story of how Peter decided to start eating with them is told in the in the book of Acts. It's in chapter 10. I mean, God has to go to great lengths to convince Peter to do this. He gives him a vision of unclean animals and he's told to eat these unclean animals and and it's confusing and Peter's trying to show God how impressive he is and and says no I won't do it he's like arguing with the vision you know it's a strange story but then right after that Peter meets a Gentile who wants to know about Jesus. Peter shares the news about Jesus with this Gentile and Like the miraculous breaks out. These guys put their faith in Jesus and it's overwhelming. Peter can't deny it. It's so legit what has happened amongst them. And so Peter has fellowship with them. New Testament scholar John Barclay writes, The sharing of common meals, which included the Lord's Supper, was central to the formation of Christian communities as it expressed their common identity and their commitment to one another in shared allegiance to Christ so peter's withdrawal was a catastrophic breach of fellowship it implied that these gentiles were not fully members of the assembly in antioch do you hear what do you hear what's going on here i mean peter eating with them is not just sharing meals they're, they're coming to the Lord's table together. They're having communion together. And all of a sudden, Peter is saying to them, you know, you have been eating this, but until you do X, Y, and Z, you can't come to the table anymore. Could you imagine if if you and I had, had an interaction, you weren't sure if you were welcome to the table based on whatever's going on in your life. And I said, you know, we, we talked it through, and I said, no, you, oh, please. This is for you. Christ has given himself for you. And so you came and for months you were coming and this was the high point of your gathering, the high point of worship. You saw Jesus welcome to you into himself. And then, you know, one of my seminary professors came and was observing. And while he's observing, I realized, ooh, he's not going to think it's okay that, you know, that I let Amy come to the table. And so I said, hey, not today. You can't come today. Could you imagine the impact that that would have on Amy? Could you imagine the, the confusion that would be going on? Peter is unquestionably the most influential of Jesus' followers at this point. And so, the, like I said, the whole end of this thing is a speech that Paul makes to Peter. And in the middle of the speech, he asks a, a question that's it's phrased awkwardly. It's hard to translate from the Greek to the English. He he asks Peter, if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners, is Christ the one who encourages sin? Now, what is he talking about here? He's not saying, he's not, in other places, Paul talks about how big grace is and how, you know, grace is so radical that that it's, you know, it's, uh, sometimes it's tempting to think, well, if I sin more, I'll feel more grace. That's what Romans gets into. But that's not what he's saying here. Here's what he's saying here. He's saying, when he says, we ourselves have also been found to be sinners, he's saying that sometimes when we trust in Christ and when we live with Christ and live amongst his people, there are others, especially those who are very legalistic in the Jewish community, who will say, you are living like a sinner. You are acting like a sinner. How could you eat with those people? If in seeking to be justified, if in seeking to be right with God, we are perceived as sinners, Paul says, does that that mean Jesus is endorsing sin? No. It means we've got to understand what Jesus is doing more deeply. He's not talking about him and Peter continuing to actually sin. He's saying that when they eat with Gentiles, some people are going to call them sinners. And that's okay. Like he did to Jesus many years before, Peter denied the Gentiles. He excluded one in order to be included by the other. He joined the exclusive group and became exclusive himself. And Paul says, when you do that, when you do that, you leave the true gospel behind. He's got the same message in the letter to the Corinthians, which is another of his angry letters. In the, in the Corinthians, the, the cool people in the community, the, the rich and influential people, they were feasting on communion early. They were coming and having a party that the poor people weren't invited to. And then when the poor people showed up, there was no bread and wine left. And Paul is so distraught over this he says what you're doing isn't even communion in fact god's so upset that some of you are getting sick and dying as a judgment on what you're doing we don't mess with the lord's table like that we don't apply the rules of the world to his table no friends you are chosen in christ You are completely and totally called, known, accepted, and loved. There is no no need for you to be in with anyone else anymore. That's why Paul told his long story. He doesn't care who else he's in with as long as he's in with Jesus. You are neither a charity case for God nor a benefit to his team. And when you completely trust in that love and that choice, you are set free from the desperate and totally common longing to be loved and accepted by others, to be in with the right people. Whether it's at your work or in your neighborhood or in this room, friends, you are set free. The reason will be that you have begun to be free to love them regardless of what they think of you or what they can give you. It's it's an overflow of the love that we receive At this table, at the king's table, your old self, the one who is seeking acceptance and righteousness and rank, the one who is ranking everybody and everything all the time, that old self has been crucified with Christ and no longer lives. But Christ lives in you. When Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ, he means the old Adam is dead. And the life you get to live is the life of Jesus, the life of the beloved of the Father. Here's what that means. You, you want to, This is scandal, you guys. This is scandalous. Here's what that means. There's a moment in Jesus' life where he is doing the ceremonial thing to show that he's one of God's people. He's being baptized in the Jordan River to fulfill, he says, all righteousness. And in that moment, a voice from heaven speaks. And what does the voice say? The voice says, this is my beloved son. And when you are in Christ, when you have been called by him, when he says that to Jesus, he's saying it to you. He's saying it to you. And that's all we need. God himself, Saying through Jesus to us, this is my beloved son. You have taken, I know with, you know, sons and daughters, I know with that, that can be confusing. But he's saying, you have taken the seat of the firstborn son at the table. That's where you are. And when you come to this table, that's the honor you receive. Friends. In this middle school cafeteria, there's only one table, and the coolest kid is Jesus Himself. And He's invited all of you to it. Let's pray. Lord, as I prepare to come to this table, I need, yet again, freedom from my temptation to rank and categorize and include one and exclude another and show who I'm with and show who I've read and, and all of that stu- stupid stuff. I need freedom from it. And so, Lord, I, I repent. I lay that before you. I need Paul to get in my face just as he got in Peter's face. And, Lord, maybe some in this room do, too. Lord, forgive us for ranking. Forgive us for ranking ourselves above others, for thinking that because of our job or our education or our family or whatever, we're better than someone else. Oh, have mercy on us, God. Kill off the old Adam in us and let us be part of your new and free community. In Jesus' name, amen.